Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Tools and Tips series. I'm Corey Martin. This is the second episode in the I Was There series. We're talking about production incidents, those scary times when your app doesn't work as you expect. Our guests are bringing these stories out into the open so we can learn from them. We'll talk to two developers about production incidents they were personally involved in. First up is Ifat Ribon, a senior developer at Launchpad Lab. Ifat, welcome to Kodish. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about Launchpad Lab. Yeah, Launchpad Lab is a web and mobile application development agency. We're headquartered in Chicago. Um, we work with a variety of clients in the generally mid-sized business range, um, working from uh, businesses that are just startups uh, to also more mature corporations looking to evolve their product offerings into a more digital space. What app are we talking about today? As today, we're going to talk about a problem I faced uh, with an app that was developed for a client of ours that is a janitorial services company. They contract with large universities um, all around the United States. Their contracts require this client to uh, be responsible for the hiring of the genders and then dispatching them um, and scheduling sort of the, the tasks, sort of cleaning up the rubbish and mopping the floors and things like that to each of the universities they work with. What is the architecture of the app and in the stack? Yeah, so this application, um, which was built to sort of help them manage that schedule part of uh, their uh, requirements, was built uh, with a Rails API backend and uh, React for the front end. They actually originally started um, with Rails both for back and front end, and it was a uh, migration we ended up doing a little bit later in the app so that we could take advantage of some of the slick interactions you can use uh, with React. What story are you sharing with us today? Yeah, so uh, this client, like I said, came to us to help them build an app that would help them build uh, schedules that they were currently using Excel to put together. Um, so they've got, like I said, employees all over the country working on these universities. And every day, these schedules might be a little bit different. Some tasks are done on a daily basis. Some are done on a weekly basis. Some are done on a more periodic basis, uh, either monthly or sort of more infrequently than that. Mm-hmm. And they needed a way to put those uh, schedules together in a more programmatic way. And then also, they wanted to deliver those schedules to employees uh, via SMS. Um, essentially, employees would get a notification about an hour before their shift, uh, reminding them, hey, you've got these tasks today, and it would be tailored to exactly what they had to do in that day. They could mm-hmm. do those tasks. And then uh, about an hour after the shift, the employee would get another text saying, hey, how'd it go today? And they could respond with, uh, yep, things went well, or uh, no, I faced these issues. And it was a nice way for the client to get a sort of a level of engagement with their employees, um, even if they're not interacting with them in person day to day. So the issue was that in order to be able to send out those text messages that could let employees know exactly what their tasks were for the day, we have an overnight rate task or like a cron job that runs to, in the database, persist a snapshot of an employee's schedule for that day based on the schedule that uh, a manager might have created inside the app. Now, there's about, uh, on a weekday, about 400 or more schedules that need to be created for a given day. 
it's a lot of schedules and they're quite complex. There's a lot of queries in terms of fetching tasks um, by sort of frequency, right? I mentioned, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, mm -hmm. and sort of putting those together. So there's a lot of a lot of queries, a lot of records, and a lot of touches to the database. Turns out though, um, what came to happen was the task that originally was written wasn't completing correctly. Um, these shifts actually weren't properly getting created for all 400 or so employees. And how did you first notice that? Yeah, so a couple things happened at the same time. One, we do use an error alert or error monitoring tool called Sentry uh, that notifies us of code level or application level errors. We were getting a set of notifications around database connections being full. So essentially, mm. when we run this rate task and we're hitting a database for each of these 400 schedules, at a given time, a database uh, can be configured to only have a certain number of pools open. And that's so that you're not overloading your database, right? Mm -hmm. Default in Rails is, is five. So you can't necessarily ask for all those 400 at the same time. Sure. Um, figuring that sort of more code level alert. We also, unfortunately, you don't usually want this to happen, but the client also sort of tapped us and has said, you know, you put together this nice job report for us as one of the features. And this job report was meant to illustrate uh, how many of these text messages were going out and how many of our employees are responding and, and how many jobs are getting completed. But these numbers don't seem to match up with how many jobs we know we have at our company um, on a given day. Can you look into that? Hmm. <laughs> so uh, from there, um, first we checked the report, uh, just to make sure all the numbers were at least tying out what we would expect. And we came to find out that coupled with the error alert about the database uh, pool limits, that in fact, not all 400 shifts were getting created, only actually about when I first got into the issue, I saw it made it through maybe like 150 of the jobs. So at this point, if I'm an employee, I might not be receiving a text that I need. If I'm the employer, I know something's wrong because it's showing up in the reporting that there's not the expected level of engagement with the text. And if I'm you, I'm trying to figure out what's causing this. And I see that we have some errors, but I'm still not sure exactly what the core issue is. Is that right? That's right. And the Errors about the database connection were super helpful, of course. Um, but like most errors that come from the code, it may not tell the whole story. Or mm. even worse, it doesn't really tell you always how to fix it. Sure. Um, so from there, the the task was really to try to identify what was resulting in the error um, in terms of, well, we were hitting our, our database max, obviously, but there are a few different components at play. There's there's a database itself and the, the pool configurations I mentioned that you can tweak. There's also the architecture in which we were first the rate test itself, which is going to iterate over 400 jobs. Is there something that can be manipulated there? And then also sort of the middleman is the architecture for background processing. In this app, we use a tool called Sidekick that helps us manage that. Essentially, you can schedule jobs to be um, through Sidekick, and it can also accept a configuration around how many threads it might spin up. A thread being essentially how many concurrent jobs can you run at the same time in the background. Okay. Uh, so we had to kind of tackle those three issues, um, or those three factors, I should say. And from there, it was honestly like a lot of trial and error. 
uh, <laughs> a lot of reading first about, you know, there's some pretty DevOps, low level DevOps configurations that maybe I hadn't had a ton of experience yet previously. So a lot of reading, there are a lot of helpful articles about there that help provide guidance on, you know, you want to have this sort of magic ratio between your, your database pools and your background job concurrency limits. So sort of tweaking those, kind of changing the number that I can give Sidekick to say how many threads do you spin up versus the number I give Rails to tell the app um, how many database connections can we allow at the same time. And there's a lot of changing that and unfortunately sort of deploying right away to production, right? Because, you know, as many developers might experience, there's nothing like production data to, to test with, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And at this point, you... You know, it's it's not what what you would traditionally think of as a code issue, more of an infrastructure issue, and sort of tweaking the knobs on the concurrency settings to see what works under a production workload. Yeah, it was is more about the infrastructure and making sure that the different pieces fit together the, in the best way that they can. And what did you ultimately arrive at? Yeah, so we ended up. Lowering the sidekick concurrency pretty low. At, it's at a two right now, um, mm -hmm. which it could probably go higher, but we ended up making it pretty low. And we actually bumped our database connections up to 10, um, which is twice as many as the, the default. The thing you have to remember about database connections is it's not just the number of database connections that one process like sidekick can use. It's also any other processes you may be running. So if we're running other jobs and also the web process, right, when someone's actually visiting the app. And one other thing we did just to help both those aspects manage the load is we added a simple sleep, essentially, as we're iterating over 400 jobs, uh, putting a bit of a timer or a pause before it tries to tackle the next schedule to put together. That also helps give Sidekick a little bit more time to finish its work and uh, sensibly close those connections when they need to be closed. So it sounds like you ended up throttling the background jobs in a sense, because Sidekick, you know, there's not really a limit to how many jobs it can run at once in theory with enough instances, but your database, there is a limit there to how much load it can handle from those jobs. So it sounds like you had to find the right balance between running the jobs quickly, but not too quickly. That's spot on. Nailed it. <laughs> and, um, you figured out pretty fast what that magic number is where you're in a spot where this is not happening anymore. I would like to believe that it was quickly. It was, <laughs> in all honesty, it was, it was over a, a bit of time, but mostly because um, in order to prove out that the configuration changes were even working or doing what I expected, um, because it was on production, instead of trying to simulate or run these tasks and then you know delete data that might be moot, I would push up the configuration changes, let that task run over the next night. And then mm. I prepared a script for myself that I could take a look at the database, look at the records and see if I was getting the numbers I expected. So it's sort of trial and error over quite some time in which as I tweak each configuration, I could see hopefully that at least the number of schedules being completed was increasing until eventually I got to the number of schedules created equal the number of schedules I expected to be created. And what did you take away from this? What are the primary lessons that you would, you know, take to the next app that you work on? A couple themes came out. One from this specific experience, 
this idea of understanding how your different systems or components uh, interact with each other. So we mentioned, I've got my background processor, I've got my database connection, I've also got, there's also Redis, which is sort of queuing up those background processes. There's all sorts of underlying pieces that can work well together, but understanding, you know, when you pull this lever, how does it affect the other lever and what kind of options you're left with until you find that sort of just right combination. Mm -hmm. And the other theme, just more in terms of debugging and tackling a problem was, is this approach of um, kind of attacking like a scientist, right? Kind of coming up with a theory. Okay, here's what I think the issue is, a theory and then a hypothesis, right? And then identifying those variables that may be contributing to your hypothesis, knowing how to not let those variables conflate, right? So maybe tackling one, one variable at a time, things like that, and having a means by which you can prove out or audit your experiment against your hypothesis. I thought that was really helpful and what ended up uh, leading me to be able to be confident that I, at the end, solved the issue. So less grasping at straws and more of a methodical, structured approach. Exactly. It's easy sometimes to get a good idea or a hunch about what it is or what you may need to do to fix it. But I have found in my experience, sometimes when I reach for that quick gut reaction, I may only be putting a Band-Aid on the problem rather than unlocking the core issue. Thank you so much for sharing this experience and being on Codish. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another story of dealing with scale. Here's Christopher Ostrowski, Chief Technology Officer at Dutchie. Chris, thanks for being on Codish. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. To set the scene, will you tell us a little bit about Dutchie? Absolutely. Yeah, so Dutchie is an e-commerce platform for the cannabis industry. Essentially, we enable uh, local cannabis retailers to sell their products online. So we basically power thousands of dispensaries, online ordering menus, you know, all across North America. Wow. When did you start and how has your growth been? So Dutchie really got started towards the end of 2017. I've been with the company since uh, May of 2018. I was the third employee. Uh, the growth has been um, pretty much astronomical. I don't, I don't think that's an overstatement. Um, <laughs> when I joined in May of 2018, we were doing about 40 orders a day. And you know, since then, we've seen you know, really crazy growth uh, to where we're now the, the industry leader. And you know, we're doing um, tens of thousands of orders uh, you know, every day um, and just growing at an astronomical rate. Lots of volume there, which brings us to the reason why we're here. Um, what happened on Christmas Eve 2019? Yeah, I guess setting the stage, right? So it's Christmas Eve and I'm at a family Christmas party. Uh, it's getting you know later in the day. And um, you know, as you can imagine, Dutchie was not working that day and we didn't have uh, you know the people that would normally be around um, you know, respond to, to incidents. Uh, so I was pinged, uh, on my phone, uh, through one of our, our monitoring alerts that our database usage, uh, was starting to go up hmm. at this point. It wasn't too unnerving. Uh, we had had some database issues, uh, that sometimes manifest as, you know, high load, uh, but really didn't have much of a, an end user impact. So I opened a ticket with our database provider 
and essentially went back to the party um, because yeah. all of our other stats, as far as you know, latency and request rate, um, all those were looking pretty normal. Uh, you know, a little bit of a blip, but also given that it was you know Christmas Eve, uh, there was kind of a thought, at least in my mind, of you know traffic should be low anyways. So if you know our database is is uh, a little bit sluggish, that should be you know tolerable for right now, um, and we'll we'll look into it. You know, when we're back when, on the keyboard, kind of went back to the Christmas party, you know, of course, kept my phone near me. And about a half hour later, our API monitors started to alert. Uh, so at this point, you know, we knew something serious was happening. Uh, so at that point, it was, you know, run, grab the laptop, <laughs> start calling some of the other engineers in the team uh, and start getting to the bottom of what's going on. What was the API alert that made you sort of raise the alarm on this a little bit more? Yeah, so um, our our latency alerts were, um, you know, very quickly uh, got pretty crazy. You know, we we have warning criteria and then alert criteria. Um, we kind of shot right past the warn, right into the alert for our, our core API latency. The the P ninety five latency stat was well above what we always aim for. Um, so that was the one that definitely kind of you know woke us up and said, okay, there's definitely there's something serious going on here. For the most part you know, synthetic monitors were still working. Uh, we could load the uh, the Dutchie platform, uh, the menus would load, and they're actually pretty snappy. So it, it was very odd, right? It wasn't a, a total outage yet. Um, nothing seemed to be too crazy at that moment in time. Uh, so, you know, from there, we started to dig through, you know, our, our logging data. And we then switched over to looking at the database monitoring, um, which had gone even further you know, beyond where it originally was in terms of, of utilization and, and CPU. And one thing that was really, really odd was the the queues were stacking up. Um, so what that meant is we had just a huge amount of queries that uh, were being queued up and, and the database server couldn't get to in time. Again, something that was really bizarre and we didn't fully understand why that was happening. Um, so at this point, you know, we're probably about a half hour into our, our you know, what we call our, our crit sit situation. Um, you know, we have a number of engineers, uh, you know, online, we're all on a, on a group Zoom, we're trying to figure out what exactly what's going on. At this point, we noticed that our order rate was going down. So one of our, our North Star metrics is average orders per minute. That had started to, you know, essentially collapse. Um, and we noticed that, you know, new orders were, were few and far between. Again, the timing is, of course, odd, right? Because it's Christmas Eve and uh, it was later in the day, at least on the East Coast. And so most dispensaries had been shut down at this point. Uh, so it was a little bit tough for us to know, is this really a technical problem or is it just the real usage that we have? So we we got through that and we started to get more and more team members involved. And eventually we were able to hone in on basically one API endpoint, which was just the create order endpoint. Our monitoring you know, probably wasn't as good as it as it should have been at this point, but we were able to eventually just realize that this one path, the latency was through the roof on it. Once we knew that the the create order endpoint was kind of going haywire, we definitely just turned all of our our attention to that. So the next step was understanding, you know, kind of line by line exactly what could be you know causing an issue. And this is where, you know, at least in our mind looking back, you know, kind of the the fun problem here. You know, as we talked about earlier, Dutchy you know, had kind of been on a crazy trajectory. And towards the end of Q3, we really realized that right at the end of the year, we were going to be on track for our 1 millionth order. Huge milestone for us. And we, we even set up some cool visualizations so that we could, you know, see the order count ticking up over oh, time. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was really cool. It was a a really important milestone for us. A really you know proud moment for the company. That's where we uh, we kind of were right. So we were right at that one million mark. We weren't quite there just yet, but we were getting close. Uh, so right about this time, you know, in our, our crit sit situation, we had some other team members outside of engineering trying to place uh, some different orders. You know, basically the user feedback was it was a timeout after 30 seconds, so they would just get an error. But we eventually realized that some orders were actually able to go through and we're actually able to go through almost instantly. So that was really interesting to us. We eventually figured out that the crux of the issue was that we have a vanity ID, right? So when you pull up an order in the Dutchie system, we don't want to show a long UUID, right, to our end users. Uh, that's you know, obviously ugly and also really inefficient for communicating, you know, what order um, you want to be looking at. Way, way back in the day when Dutchie was first uh, designed, a decision was made to make that a six-digit number. That's randomly generated, so it's um, it's just numeric, so just you know, six digits. Where we you know started to realize the problem was was for certain orders, uh, like we can take we can place a test order. And when you place a test order, we actually append a dash T to the end of that vanity ID. Those orders were going through just fine. And this is where we finally realized what our problem was. What we eventually found out was that 1 million orders is exactly the the number of combinations you get uh, when you have a six-digit number. Um, Yeah. So, you know, 10 raised to the sixth, that's a million. Uh, we were pretty much right there. So what our code was essentially doing was before it inserted the order into the database, it would run a routine that would generate a random uh, number and then query the database to see if that already existed. Because we had exhausted the total space of IDs, that query was essentially never finishing because it would just have to keep trying and trying and trying. So we essentially created a, a denial of service attack on our own database. We immediately realized the problem, you know, kind of shook our heads at the simplicity of it, changed the length variable from six to nine, giving us a billion orders, which that would be a fantastic problem to have, you know, maybe in a couple of years. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So now we had a billion unique combinations, deployed our API code update, and instantly uh, utilization went way back down and orders began flowing once again. One million was the problem and also a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. Uh, so I have a couple questions. Your monitoring at first didn't make it extremely clear what was happening. You knew something was wrong from the database load. You knew something was up with the API endpoint for creating orders. Is there anything that could have made it obvious faster? where the issue was. Yeah, definitely. So when we retroed this issue, um, and you know, of course looking back and say, well, how do we prevent this and, and what could have prevented it, you know, monitoring really was the number one thing that came out of it. You know, this is a it's a it's a linear problem, right? Where over time you're going to run out of unique uh, combinations and that that database query is going to just take longer and longer and longer. Uh, so it's a slow burning problem that obviously crescendoed very quickly for us. But, you know, we realized that we really didn't have the granularity in monitoring to see that, oh, hey, this one individual, you know, endpoint 
has been creeping up in latency over time. Um, had we had that in place, and you know, also you know, a lot of monitoring tools they allow you to kind of designate critical um, you know endpoints. This would have been pretty obvious to us. You know, we probably would have seen for you know upwards of a month before the latency just continuing to uh, kind of tick up linearly. Mm. And and we definitely would have kind of thought to ourselves, hmm, that's that's pretty odd. I wonder why that latency is going up. Could have been, you know, probably avoided had we had better monitoring there. That's interesting. So as you reached closer to 1 million, the orders got slower and slower, slightly over time. And you could have spotted that, but just looking at your metrics, you wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily stick out. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, in the grand scheme of, you know, your API, this create order endpoint is actually, you know, not hit very often. Um, all of the, in, in comparison with all the other APIs that you have, right, for, mm. for fetching menu information, for loading uh, the dispensaries information, you know, those are all endpoints that are going to be hit, you know, potentially tens of times per session. Uh, where the create order endpoints can be hit maybe once, right? So if you're averaging across your entire API, your latency is going to be, you know, pretty good. And, you know, one endpoint that is an order of magnitude, you know, less utilized is really not going to, you know, have that much of an impact on your overall latency numbers. Uh, So the lesson there is, you know, you really need to make sure that you identify, you know, these critical API endpoints, even if they're not, that hot in terms of, of load or utilization. Um, so that's definitely a, an immediate change that we made, you know, to add proper callouts to say, for our business needs, these are the top 10 endpoints that just always have to be working right. And, you know, even setting uh, essentially internal SLAs on the, uh, the latency for those endpoints uh, is really helpful there too. What tools or resources have you found most helpful for implementing that improved monitoring? Yeah, so one tool we really like is Datadog. Uh, previously, we weren't really utilizing a Datadog or a New Relic, and you know because Datadog was so plug and play for us, it was really easy for us to just drop that in, you know, into our, our whole environment. You know, uh, throughout you know monitoring, of course, application level concerns, but also jumping down to monitoring, you know, CPU usage, uh, disk space, disk utilization, all of those. You know, Datadog is I think really good at kind of surfacing. And giving you the whole picture, which can be which can be tough, you know, in in today's cloud world, um, especially as systems become more distributed. So, if you were to say sort of one takeaway for our listeners from this experience, what would it be? I would definitely say that you can't instrument too much. You can definitely have things like alert fatigue. You can have things, you know, like like too much log data. It can be tough to you know see the forest through the trees, but as far as you know, instrumenting things, it's very tough to end up in a state where you're overdoing it. And it's also these days very easy to do, right? There's, there's a million and one tools out there uh, to ensure that you have proper monitoring. And of course, you know, all of monitoring is the start, but then making sure that operationally and organizationally things are set up right. You know, we realized that we really hadn't put in the, the time to set up our, our, our crit-sit procedures. Who leads the, the, the team? through problems, who's the team lead, who's the you know person communicating to support. Um, we didn't have these roles defined. That's also a really worthwhile task and um, exercise to go through with your teams. You know, everybody's going to have downtime. You try to minimize it, you do the best you can, but as we all know, it's unavoidable. So proper planning uh, and preparation for when you do have downtime is 
always going to yield the best results for your customers. That's great advice. And Chris, thank you so much for sharing this experience and your takeaways from it. Absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciate it and uh, glad I could contribute. These stories show the flip side of success. More scale can bring unexpected challenges. When an incident arises under heavy traffic, it can be very stressful. These stories reminded me that we can rely on monitoring tools and a methodical troubleshooting approach to investigate calmly. This is the value of storytelling. When others share their experiences, we take away lessons for our own projects. Thanks to Ifat and Chris for sharing their stories, and thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.